Section 13 of Life of John Churchill, Duke of Marlborough by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7, Blenheim, Part 1. The campaign of 1703 had been on the whole a successful one for Louis XIV, and had given him hope that he might be able utterly to crush the Allies. All through the winter he was busy in preparations for the next campaign, and in the spring was able to put eight splendid armies on foot. The rebels in the Cévennes were becoming formidable, and an army under Villar was sent against them. A fine army was sent to Spain under the Duke of Berwick, a natural son of James II by Marlborough's sister, Arabella Churchill, and one of the ablest generals in the French service. But the great effort was to be made in Germany, where Louis XIV hoped to carry out the plan which had been made for the year before. The road to the Austrian frontier lay open to the French army, as the elector of Bavaria had his camp at Ulm. When once Marshal Tallard had joined him, they would be able to lead their armies to the very walls of Vienna. Austria was already much harassed by the Hungarian rebels, with whom the Elector of Bavaria was in communication. Louis the Fourteenth hoped to force her to conclude a separate peace with him, and then he would only have England and Holland against him. The only general who was likely to be able to offer any opposition to Tallard was the Margrave Louis of Baden, who commanded in Alsace. So Tallard, after leading some troops to join the elector at Ulm, hastened back to oppose the Margrave in Alsace. But Marlborough had long ago seen what were the plans of the French, and he felt that if they were allowed to succeed, the Allies would be hopelessly ruined. He knew that there was only one man who could see the whole bearing of the state of affairs as he did, and to Prince Eugène he communicated his fears and his plans. They agreed together to lead their armies into Bavaria, and there combined to fight the French on their way to Vienna. A glance at the map will show the boldness of Marlborough's plan. In those days when there were no railways and roads were bad, to lead an army by rapid marches all the way from Holland to Bavaria, where if defeated it would be in the midst of a hostile country, was an undertaking of perilous difficulty. But on the other hand, it was the only hope of saving the Grand Alliance, and Marlborough was not a man to shrink from difficulties. He doubtless dreaded less the difficulties of the march and the campaign than all the tiresome proceedings which would be necessary before he could get permission to lead his troops away from the Netherlands. He knew that it would be useless to tell his real object to the Tories at home, who already thought the English operations too extensive, or to the Dutch, who trembled for the safety of their frontier, even if he suggested a bold plan of operations in the Netherlands. He therefore kept his real object entirely secret, and did not even confide it entirely to the Queen and Godolphin. Prince Eugène, at Marlborough's suggestion, made the Emperor write a pressing request to Anne for aid in his great danger, and in consequence, Marlborough obtained a permission from the Cabinet to go to Holland and take such steps in concert with the Dutch 
as should seem best for aiding the emperor. His plan was to profess to intend a campaign on the Moselle, and when he had once got his troops there, to lead them on into Bavaria. He managed this difficult matter with his usual ability. His perfect command of temper enabled him to be calm and bland under the most provoking circumstances, and to combat with unwearying patience the objections raised to his plans. On this occasion, he showed great firmness and made the Dutch understand that he meant to lead his own troops to the Moselle, and that they would consult their own safety best by cooperating with him. At last, on the 4th May, he got from the Dutch powers to carry out his schemes. About the same time, too, he was relieved from another trouble which weighed heavily on his spirits. He had left England after a dispute with the Duchess, and had not managed to make peace before starting. She even sent an angry letter after him. Marlborough could not be happy for a moment when she was angry, and we can see how he must have suffered by his joy when she at last relented and wrote him an affectionate letter, offering even to accompany him on the campaign. I would not for anything in my power, he writes, your letter had been lost, for it is so very kind that I would in return lose a thousand lives if I had them to make you happy. Before I sat down to write this letter, I took yours that you wrote at Harwich out of my strong box and have burnt it, and if you will give me leave, it will be a great pleasure to me to have it in my power to read this dear, dear letter often, and that it may be found in my strong box when I am dead. I do this minute love you better than ever I did before. This letter of yours has made me so happy that I do from my soul wish we could retire and not be blamed. What you say as to coming over I should be extremely pleased with, for your dear letter has so transported me that I think you would be happier in being here than where you are. But you will see by my last letter, as well as this, that what you desire is impossible. But love me as you now do, and no hurt can come to me. You have by this kindness preserved my quiet, and I believe my life, for till I had this letter I have been very indifferent of what should become of myself. I have pressed this business of carrying an army into Germany in order to leave a good name behind me, wishing for nothing else but good success. I shall now add that of having a long life that I may be happy with you. The army which Marlborough hoped to lead into Bavaria was to consist of about 40,000 men in all. Of these, a great many were English, some were Dutch, and others were troops in the pay of England and Holland, supplied by the different German states which had joined the Grand Alliance. These German troops were stationed at different places along the Rhine and were to join the main army on its march. Overkirk was left in Holland with the greater part of the Dutch troops to defend the frontier. Marlborough started from Maastricht and began his march on the 19th of May, and on the 25th reached Koblenz. Everywhere he was received with marks of the greatest distinction, and says in his letters to his wife that he was ashamed even to repeat the flattery which was heaped upon him. Mainz was reached on the 29th, and the troops were reviewed by the elector who was much struck by their cleanly and neat appearance. 
These gentlemen, he said, speaking of the officers, seem to be all dressed for the ball. Here Marlborough received the provoking news that the Margrave of Baden had allowed some bodies of French troops to join the camp of the Elector of Bavaria at Ulm. The Margrave was a slow and punctilious general, and though he saw what ought to be done, was not active enough to do it, and so missed the important moment. The French, meanwhile, watched Marlborough's movements with wonder and alarm. At first they thought that his destination was the Moselle, then that he meant to act in Alsace. Marshal Villeroy had followed him from the Meuse, and now sent for more troops from Flanders, and hoped to effect a junction with Tallard, so as to protect Alsace. Of Marlborough's real intention, no one had the least suspicion. His troops were in excellent spirits. Notwithstanding the continual marching, he writes, the men are extremely pleased with this expedition. His object could not much longer remain a secret. On the 9th June, he reached Mundelsheim on the Neckar, and was there joined by Prince Eugène. This was the first meeting of the two generals, and personal intercourse increased the confidence which they felt in one another. Marlborough reviewed his troops in the presence of Eugène, who complimented him much upon their excellent condition and the fine spirit they showed. Money, he said, of which you have no want in England, can buy clothes and accoutrements, but nothing can buy the spirit which I see in the looks of your men. It is an earnest of victory. The two generals were soon joined by the Margrave of Baden, that the three might together decide upon the future operations of the campaign. Marlborough and Eugène wished to act together upon the Danube, and leave the Margrave on the Rhine. But the Margrave wanted to be where most laurels could be won, and asserted his right as elder in rank to have the choice before Eugène. Neither would he allow to Marlborough the command-in-chief, but insisted that they should command on alternate days. Marlborough foresaw many difficulties from this arrangement. Prince Eugène, he wrote, has been very free with me in giving me the character of the Prince of Baden, by which I find I must be much more on my guard than if I was to act with Prince Eugène. On the 14th, the generals separated, Eugène to go to the Rhine, and the Margrave to bring his troops to join Marlborough's army. From Holland, meanwhile, came anxious news. Overkirk, through the difficulties thrown in his way by the timidity of the deputies, had missed an opportunity for striking a decisive blow. The Dutch were alarmed at the report that Villeroy was returning, and terrified at the thought that Marlborough was going so far from them, begged him to send back some of the auxiliary forces. Marlborough's calm spirit was unmoved by these difficulties. He pacified the fears of the Dutch by ordering boats to be in readiness on the Rhine to convey some of his troops back to the Meuse if necessary, and having at last heard that the Margrave's troops were in motion, proceeded to cross the mountainous defile of Geislingen, which led into the plains of the Danube. On the 22nd of June, he set up his camp at Urspring, just at the opening of the plains of the Danube, whilst the Margrave was at Westerstellen nearby. The elector of Bavaria had moved his camp from Ulm to the neighborhood of Dillingen. Marlborough's object was to reduce Bavaria before the elector could receive reinforcements from France, 
and Eugène had promised to suffer the last extremity before he would let a French army cross the Rhine. But Marlborough did not intend to begin by attacking the elector's camp. He wished first to secure Donauwert, which would be a useful place for making a magazine and collecting stores, as it was easy of access from the friendly district of Franconia. The elector had thought to make Donauwert quite safe by stationing 12,500 men on the Schellenberg, a fortified height overhanging Donauwert. Marlborough determined at once to attack the Schellenberg. With his usual care for his soldiers, he first established a hospital for the wounded at Nordlingen, and then pressed on to the Schellenberg, having with some difficulty persuaded the Margrave to agree to his vigorous movements. End of section 13